Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I'm your host, James DiPietro. This is a show that explores the people and places that make our neighborhoods our home. On this really fun episode, I have two very special guests. Ellie J and Mike Von Cannon are dance partners that specialize in the art form that is Lindy Hop and are the founders of Sunnyside Syncopators, a social club and dance production group. Ellie is originally from Colorado and began dancing at an early age, studying all forms but focusing on ballet before a series of injuries put that dream on hold. Swing dancing was a way to bring her back to her passion and she moved to Orlando where she eventually met Mike and they decided to collaborate as partners. Mike hails from Florida and started dancing swing at age 12 and began teaching it to large groups just a few years later. Pursuing dance as a career, he went to BYU and got into competitive ballroom dancing before returning home. After their partnership took off, Ellie and Mike found that the scene in Orlando didn't provide them with enough of a creative platform to pursue their passion. So they came out west and moved to Pasadena. As they share, Pasadena is a city well known in the swing community for regular events. Like Lindy Groove, which takes place on Thursdays at the Pasadena Masonic Hall on South Euclid, and the Pasadena Ballroom Dance Association, which is a 39-year-old institution that meets at the Hill Avenue Grace Lutheran Church. Amazingly, I live just minutes from there and have seen their signs but never made that connection. Amongst other cool projects, Ellie and Mike teach beginning swing and Lindy Hop at the Athletic Garage Dance Center located just south of Old Pasadena. And what I can honestly say has been one of my favorite episodes. We talk about their backgrounds, how they got into Lindy Hop, the history of swing itself, and what's next for them, including their virtual participation in the International Lindy Hop Championships. So, without further delay, my conversation with Lindy Hop dancers, Ellie J and Mike Von Cannon. Ellie and Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So it's really fun to have you both on. I started following you about a year ago. We were talking about this before the show. And like I mentioned in joke, vicariously living through your Instagram feed. <laughs> As I understand it, you both started dancing at a young age. So to begin our conversation, can you share a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Ellie, go ahead. Go first. Take it away. All right. I started in ballet. I pretty much started dancing around when I was like two. <laughs> My mom put me in ballet, I think, when I was three and a half. And I pretty much did not stop. Um, I did ballet until I was 18. And I was training to be a prima ballerina, training like 30 some hours a week. Ended up with two hip surgeries at the ripe age of 18, (laughs) which took me out of my ballet career real fast. I ended up teaching a little bit and I tried to go away from dance for a little bit. That didn't work. (laughs) I need to dance. (laughs) But that's when I I started going out swing dancing more. At that time, I was living in Orlando. I had gone swing dancing a lot in Denver, Colorado, and other places Like as I was growing up for fun. But when I realized I needed to dance again, I just started going out social dancing more in Orlando. And that's where I found Mike. And then we became dance partners and all of that. But I've trained mainly ballet, mainly swing, but then I've done tons of other types like contemporary and jazz and African. And we've done all sorts of different classes that I've taken from, but ballet and swing and solo jazz and things like that are my main two. 
And I was that weird kid who was already into jazz music when I was like <laughs> 10 years old. I racked up tons of bills on the BMI music catalog that used to come in the mail and figured they're not going to chase after a 12-year-old for CD debt. So I cashed in on that little opportunity <laughs> there back in the 90s. But yeah, so when I, when I was 12, some some people came to my church and taught us how to swing dance. And since I was already into the music and I love, I was just super active and almost hyperactive. Um, it, it spoke to me. And so I bought some VHS tapes and started learning as much as I could. And I started teaching my little sisters and practicing all my moves on them. And then any friends that would actually like listen to me for five minutes, you know, I would teach how to do some moves. And I was going out dancing once a month, at least back when I was, you know, 13 years old and started teaching like bigger groups of people around 13 and 14 until I was teaching like large groups of kids about my age. And this was, you know, 1997, 1998. This is Gap commercial era when swing kind of had this big resurgence more or less. I'd forgotten about the Gap commercial. Oh, really? Oh, man. <laughs> that was a big thing. Yeah, I remember that now. It was, it launched it, you know, like, yes, swingers played a big part, but I, but also Gap commercial and just, you know, the, the music of the time was kind of reinvestigating the big band sort of stylings. You had Brian Setzer who went from being the straight cats to starting the Brian Setzer orchestra in the mid nineties. And then you had other bands popping up like the cherry pop and daddies and all those other dudes. Like that was a big deal around that time. And so I was happily able to kind of enjoy a sort of resurgence as like a young teenager yeah, so that that got me started moving. I I learned how to salsa when I was in high school, and so I kept doing that a bunch too. When I got out to college, I went out to Utah for school and ended up getting drawn into competitive ballroom dance, which I didn't even know was a thing. Like I didn't know partner dancing was more than just something you did with like your buddies out on a weekend or whatever. And so like this idea of being able to be Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly was just was brand new and really exciting. So I kind of dove into that head first and all through college was spending down to my last penny on dance lessons and becoming competitive in the broader spectrum that is competitive ballroom. Um, and then when I graduated college, I, I started competing professionally in ballroom dance and moved back to Florida where I had my professional partner there and competed all around the world. But then, you know, personally, I kind of started to get a little tired of, of ballroom. I mean, as a style, it's, relatively inauthentic it doesn't really adhere to its roots when you think about like where the dances that it's competing comes from and what they're doing now it's it's i like to say that ballroom dance is kind of like the ferrari of cars like it's really pretty but it, it's kind of impractical because all cars stuck in traffic are still going 30 miles an hour no matter how big their engine is so for me getting back to my roots um of like lindy hop and swing dancing was was important and, and i found that space when i moved to new york city and lived there for a while, I kind of got back into where I'd come from with dance and have been doing that since. Who are some of your earliest influences or mentors, either the dance or outside of dance, that really kind of shaped who you are and how you approach things? The first one I can think of is I grew up in a small town in Colorado and the mentality there is very much, you know, nobody from Pueblo can achieve anything. So you might as well just kind of find a normal job. And I always wanted to become a dancer. And I remember I was like 12 or 13, which when you're training to be a ballerina, that you have to go hardcore when you're like 11. <laughs> but I remember just being like, I can't do this. Like, I can't become a dancer. I'm just from Pueblo, Colorado. And I got a new teacher at that time. His name is Stephen Wynn. 
mainly a amazing contemporary choreographer who's been all over the world. He trained under Barishnikov, but he came there and he just had this, he was very hard on me. He was like, no, you suck. You need to do this again. But at the same time, he was like, if you work hard enough and you want something, you can do anything you want. You can travel the world. You can become a dancer. And it just changed my mentality completely from this kind of what I was told from everyone else there. He came in and actually believed in me and was like, no, yeah, even if you're from here, it doesn't matter. It depends on how hard you work and how much you want it and how like hard you're willing to get what you want and what you dream for. And so that really changed my mentality. And then I just started going hardcore into dance completely. And then as far as more recently, because swing for me was a new passion that started like full passion for it, probably like five or six years ago now. But so many people I've met over the past like five years, um, people like Jenna Applegarth, Gabby Cook, like there's so many people that are amazing dancers there that have all been so encouraging and kind and the community is that way as well which just makes me more excited to be part of it and wants to like work harder and harder to like get to the place I want to be and become a better dancer so yeah I'd say those are some of my top ones yeah I mean the community we're a part of it's a very um, inspiring community in a lot of ways Um, one of the things I think is interesting is the way that technology has kind of altered our perception of not only arts, but also the way that art is sort of portrayed around the world. Um, For example, for the longest time pre-YouTube, dance, especially swing dance, was very regional. Um, You know, you had people who danced in New York danced one way, people in Minneapolis kind of danced another way, people in Colorado danced a little bit differently because it was all kind of, you know, you could almost follow a tree back to who taught who, how to do it. Um, But then as soon as things became a little bit more homogenized with, you know, the advent of YouTube and then everybody around the world watching the same greatest dancers, things sort of adjusted in kind of a different direction. I feel like that's something that's sort of, that crosses all sort of boundaries when it comes to any type of art, you know, you have these ideas of what's ideal. And so you search for what, what's ideal. And I think, you know, the, the people who have been inspiring for both of us in the community, especially right now are the people who are authentic to themselves and creating something new and pushing boundaries and being ever so slightly different. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we're, we're dancing a, a dance that's been around for a hundred years almost, you know, and it's, it's very important to remember your history and, and know where you're coming from. But at the same time, it's also important to personalize what you're doing and be authentic to yourself and your own experiences. So while we dance a dance that comes from Harlem, New York, and we revere the dancers who came before our job, isn't going to be to copy them. It's going to be to respect them and, and realize that it's their legacy they were carrying forward and build off of the principles that they sort of built with while at the same time being who we are and showing ourselves through our dance. So it's not just a performative dance that we do. It's a yeah. social dance. It's a collaboration with any partner that you're with. And so every time we go to an exchange and we see some of these great people that Ellie's talking about, you know, the Jenna Applegarths, the Gabby Cooks, uh, the, the modern leaders of the Lindy Hop scene, you get a chance to actually experience a moment with these people when you dance together socially and be co-creators in something that's new and fresh and, and current and only exists within that moment. You know, it's not necessarily something that's going to be recorded and kept forever and then emulated by other people. But yeah, so when, when you talk about people that we mm-hmm. sort of respect and admire and who are inspiring in the dance, it's, it's people that we get to dance with 
mm-hmm. who, you know, bring out the best in us and we can create something real and authentic in any given moment. So how did you meet and how did you become dance partners? <laughs> so kind of like I said that earlier, I started going out social dancing because I needed to get back into dance. My soul was dying. <laughs> so I started going out social dancing more in Orlando, Florida, where we were both living at the time. And I met Mike just social dancing. Um, at that time, he was working on some projects and he had um, one idea and he was doing this really awesome video with three different dance couples like in the dark with these certain shadows and it was super fun and he was looking for dancers and he met me and was like hey like I'm doing this project do you want to be a part of it and I was like yeah sure this sounds like lots of fun let's do it so I started working on him with that and very quickly, I got to see that Ellie was a real dancer um, <laughs> because uh, when it comes to even in like very high level ballroom dance, for example, or even just social dancers, there's there's this training aspect of being a dancer that matters. When yeah. you have honed your body to a very particular way and are very aware of certain muscle movements and appearance and flexibilities and uh, capabilities of within, within your body, that matters. And so a lot of times when you meet somebody out dancing, you know, it's like, oh, they've come up maybe just social dancing, like, you know, with their parents or just going out every few months or whatever. When you find somebody who's actually like sees this as more than just uh, a slight hobby Mm -hmm. or the occasional good time, that that has always been, you know, kind of a big deal to me to meet. Right. And I think with both of us, me having the very strict ballet background, when I agree to do something, I'm like, all right, I'm showing up early to rehearsals. I'm going to work on it at home. I'm going to come. And so I was like at every rehearsal, like early (laughs) on time, I didn't miss any rehearsals. And like, I learned the choreography like at home. So I'd come to rehearsal, like, and I'd know it all. And so he was like, oh, and then he was like, oh, so I'm doing another video. Do you want to be in that one too? And I was like, sure. Yeah, this is a blast. And then when we were working on that one, he was teaching a Lindy Hop class by himself every Tuesday, I think. And he was like, oh, do you want to be my like assistant? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so then I started helping him with his classes. And then one day I was working on this dance move called TikToks. And I, for the life of me, couldn't get it. And it was driving me crazy. But I was in the corner working on it for like 30 minutes. And he comes over. He's like, Ellie, what do you want to do with Lindy Hop? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, do you want to, like, compete or perform or teach or, you know, do events? And I just was like, um, yes. All the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just was like, yes. And he's like, great. Do you want to be my dance partner? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, we're starting an event in two weeks. We're going <laughs> to – and then we're going to ILHD. It's in two months. We're competing. We start rehearsals. On Friday, I was like, all right, here we go. We've kind of been going full force <laughs> ever since then. Yep. So what year was that? 2018. Yeah. Yeah, 2018. So what do you think each other brings to the partnership? I mean, you've, you've alluded to Ellie's kind of ballet background and very her very serious and dedicated nature. That serious and dedicated nature comes across in more than just her, her like, <laughs> dancing ways. Um She's also really organized and likes charts and spreadsheets 
and <laughs> taking notes and keeping things in its place and has and her sewing kit in her purse at all times. Memorization quickly. So all the organized things that I tend to lack because I'm very head in the clouds, creating, like not remembering anything and just thinking about what's next and what's forward. She helps to ground that a little bit. Well, you know, what I could be doing could be completely scatterbrained and lost. She can kind of tie that in. And so while she grounds me, I also kind of like, I feel like inspire some creativity within you. Yeah, he's definitely the more creative. Most of our stuff is choreographed by Mike. I maybe, like, add a few things in. But then he's also the one, like, oh, my God, I can flip you over my back and then throw you over here and then we'll do the splits and then we'll do this. And I'm like, um, how about just, just like, just the flip, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Just one of those. Or he'll be choreographing and I memorize things quickly and then I'll teach it back to him because he's in such a creative space. He'll forget everything he's done and then I teach him his own moves back so he's definitely like that happens (laughs) I'm a little bit more goal oriented and like like well we're both goal oriented but I like yeah very organized and more realistic and he's definitely the more like creative yeah, head in the clouds, yeah. but in like a good way. <laughs> but, but what works is that we're both such like driven personalities that we will go for things no matter what. Like we're motivated in very similar ways. And yeah. when somebody tells you you can't do something, that's like more fuel for the fire to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that complements more than our opposing factors. Yeah. So how does swing reflect each of your personalities? That's a very big question, but. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what your answers are. To answer that, you first have to say what is swing, and swing is then well, swing is jazz, and what is jazz? How do you <laughs> jazz? I mean, if, if you if you start going down that rabbit hole, it's like how does that affect a personality? And are you? This is why I say you got to reel them in. <laughs> I, I don't know. We only have an hour. Maybe we should reel that in for just a second. Um, no, I could probably focus that thought process real fast. Let me focus. So like, yeah, swing and jazz, you have to realize what that's coming from, right? You're, you're, you're bringing a musical style. And I think it's reflective of especially my personality, but also Ellie's. You've got this style that's coming out of, you know, turn of the century where things are very straight and um, solid timing. You know, marches are kind of the musical style of the day. And then all of a sudden, then comes like ragtime that kind of sort of throws a wrench in that. And that starts mixing with Irish music that's mixing with mountain music that starts mixing with southern styles of that that brings about blues and blues is kind of coming in and influencing this new sort of tonality in music and it becomes more improvised than rehearsed like music before that you know before jazz came on the scene music was always supposed to be you know exactly the same and you knew exactly what was happening next and what happened before that and jazz is more spontaneous Um, and so when it comes to how our draw towards swing affects our personality. It's that spontaneity that really, I think we connect with, you know, we're both the type of person where if we're hanging out somewhere in the evening and a friend walks up and says, Hey, we're going to go get Thai food and then go to a beach and be up until the sun rises. We're like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) it Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll survive, you know, (laughs) death is, you know, nothing but a heartbeat away. Let's keep going. That, and I think (laughs) swing has, is it's so joyful that I think we're both very like pretty happy people that Mm -hmm. that draws us into to where like that joy that's embodied in swing 
we both feel that and it even makes our kind of like happy-go-lucky personalities come out even more. For me, that's a big one is it's just, we even talked about one time, there's no like Lindy Hop dances that you look at and the emotion is like sad or like angry. (laughs) (laughs) You can't find one that it's not just happy and like fun. So that's another one, I think. Yeah. I mean, the birth of swing music comes from a time where, you know, we're fighting with racial segregation in the country and you had these giant dance halls, especially like for Lindy Hop in Harlem, you had, you know, some of the first integrated dance spaces were Lindy Hop dance spaces. Um, And so you've got a a joyful thing born out of conflict. And so I think anybody who can relate to some sort of at least inner conflict or external conflict can, can find that this is a way to, to overcome whatever is, is angsty. Like I I came to jazz from like a punk rock kind of background. And there's this funny, there's this meme that, you know, has, staircase up and staircase down for punk rock kids either you go up to heaven into jazz or you go down into rockabilly those are kind of your two options um (laughs) yeah well i mean talking about like oppression like lindy hop can be traced to an african dance called cuckoo which they believe is like this celebratory african dance so it's these you know black americans that were oppressed for so long they finally had freedom to express themselves and Lindy Hop came from that. And so it's like all the way from roots from a celebratory African cultural dance kind of grew Lindy Hop. And so like it goes back, you know, not just a hundred years, like goes way, way back. And it's always been like in that place of joy. Yeah. I mean, joy as well as like rebellion. Um, yeah, that too. <laughs> I think that's an important kind of factor to, to also remember that it was it was yes. a social rebellion, not just in the 1920s and into the 30s, but it was also in, in the 40s and 50s. You had the Zoot Suit Riots here in Southern California. That was, you know, the, the Zoot Suiters fighting against the, the sailors here at, at port. You know, that was a big thing that happened here in, in Southern California. And so, like, there is this inherent rebellious nature within this joyful kind of thing. It's it's kind of a – it's always rebellion. pushing. It's, it's always <laughs> striving to just exist, and it's never really something that's – just settled or accepted. Um, and I, I think honestly, if we're looking at the current state of Lindy hop today, I think that's sometimes what is the downfall of the way people see swing dancing. Honestly, like we talk to people all the time who are like, Oh, you swing dance. Oh, that's, you know, that's kind of boring. I want to go out salsa dancing and salsa dancing is more fun. I'm like, Whoa, 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 hang on. The reason you think that is because once upon a time you went to a dance that was somewhere in some giant gymnasium with a bunch of old people who are basically swing, foxtrot, east coasting, whatever, right? If you go and you experience what it's like to be in an actual jazz club with dancers, it's just like going to a salsa club with salsa dancers. I mean, that that energy is there, which is something that we hope to be able to to contribute to and and show people and bring to the the Southern California scene that's here. I mean, that does exist in places, um, and it's just a matter of people being able to see it and find it. I typically do a lot of research on putting these uh, questions together, and this is our episode is going to be episode twenty seven in the series, and I have found by far that this is the hardest topic to crack. <laughs> you know, I've talked to people about racial equality, city policies, and and nothing is as complicated as <laughs> Lindy Hop, the history of it, and then kind of the, the practicality of it. 
my parents put my sister and I in cotillion when we were little kids. And so we learned how to foxtrot and the rock step. And I think that was a scarring event. Yeah. I would have liked to have found swing in my teens and not in my, like when I was eight. Yeah. Because you're just not ready for it. (laughs) Going through these terms, I'm like, there's relative placement scoring for competitions. There's Jack and Jill competitions. There's the swing outs, which apparently are quote unquote a calling card of a couple. There's the eight count for six count. There's the sugar push, sugar tuck. And then there's the harvest moon style, moon ball style. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on. And I'm just like blown away by it. Just, <laughs> my family was very, very much into classical music. I was the rebel in that. I appreciated it and listened to jazz. My Mike did. My friend who listens to this podcast, he'll, he'll, he'll laugh at this, but we were listening to Glenn Miller in our teens. I mean, like who does that? I was 16 when Swingers came out and I lived actually down the street from the Derby nice. in the Las Vegas area. And, and now it's a Chase Bank. Uh-huh. I know. I was able to go there when I was 22 for like a Thursday night. And even a Thursday night where there's like no one there, it was still super cool to go to. Yeah. So this has been a really interesting education because I didn't know that Benny Goodman kind of launched the quote unquote swing era, LA in 1935. And then it traces back to Harlem even earlier than that. So this has been an amazing education. So thank you both for allowing me to even have this conversation with you guys. (laughs) Because you can very much geek out on every aspect Definitely. of, yes. of Linda. <laughs> Doing some research, it seems like there are different eras of Lindy Hop and Swing. Is there a particular decade that you particularly like and why? So when you, when you talk about that, when you break Swing down into decades, first it's important to understand that Swing is an umbrella term. Um, swing is that term that covers all styles of music that have a syncopated rhythm in it. Instead of being boom, that boom, it's doom, doom, to doom, doom, to doom. That syncopation is that swing is what gives it its name. Um, so when you say swing, that can cover any kind of dance that came about in that era, which ranged from around the, the teens and twenties into like the fifties and sixties. Once you get into the sixties, that's when music kind of goes back into its four on the floor style of disco music that went towards more like that electronic, electronic straight rhythm. Right. So during that large span, a lot of different dances popped up. Lindy hop, I think has become probably the most worldwide danced version of that. If not, one of the ones from the 1950s, which would have been like Rockabilly Jive. And that's partly because of something that happened in the resurgence in the 1980s. There were some Swedish dancers who came to New York City and were looking for some of these original dancers from Whitey's Lindy Hoppers, which was a troupe in, in Harlem, New York. Um, and they found Frankie Manning and a few others who had just started teaching at some some dance studios there. And so while the music was becoming sort of popular again, these dancers came back from some of these more popular videos like Hell's a Poppin' uh, from A Day at the Races or other like famous historic videos of the dance. And so those people were able to bring back Lindy Hop and give it sort of uh, a voice once again, that's echoed around the world. But when you talk about just what was happening in those early days, you know, you had Lindy Hop was coming out of Harlem, but also you had Balboa coming out of Orange County over here at Balboa Peninsula. That was a smaller dance space that had its own dance style that grew from there. You also had shag coming up in different places around the world, which had three different styles of shag dancing. You had collegiate, you had um, Carolina, 
Carolina. You've got, you know, various dances all coming at the same sort of time because the music spread faster than the teachers did, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. So we talked about how even up until the advent of YouTube, the dance was very regional and people danced differently in different ways. So while you have, you know, um, Benny Goodman playing all around the country, uh, what he plays stays the same from city to city, but what the dancers are doing there can kind of shift and adjust a little bit. Um, and at the time when swing was becoming popular, you had kind of two styles of dance that were sort of competing for space in the ballroom. You had like, let's say the Lindy hoppers, the young crowd who was dancing to this really strident pop music of people like Benny Goodman or Glenn Miller, or even earlier, Louis Armstrong, people like that. Um, but then you also had the older crowd of people who were the dancers coming from the walking dances era, the, the Fox trotters who were coming from waltz and that sort of thing. And so you've got, on one dance floor, you've got older people dancing Foxtrot in a great big circle around <laughs> the younger people dancing Lindy Hop in the middle of the floor. Um, so much so that there were dance halls that would ban Lindy Hop from being danced in their dance halls. Say, so you can't come here. You guys are too extreme. You're too crazy. You're jumping around everywhere. We can't handle that. We need space for our old folks to be able to dance around because they pay the money, you know? Uh, it's the same sort of thing you hear nowadays, right? <laughs> Those same sure. conflicts happen wherever you go. There's always like, oh, this is our established clientele. And you guys who are new and coming in are disrupting that. Well, that's the nature of the dance, right? So when you say swing, when you want to talk about that history, it's important to kind of dive into, it's really the history of the music and it's the way the music flows. So you're flowing from the 1920s where you've got, you know, Joplin-esque ragtime sort of music that creates the Charleston, dun, 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 bum, bum, which is really fast. And then as it sort of slows down ever so slightly, the people who are dancing it adjust to the change of the music and it, the, the current style of that music changes the dancing. So they're not dancing like the generation right before them, right? So you've got people like Shorty George and Big Bay who are Charleston all-stars. Um, and then you've got these young bucks like Frankie Manning coming in and kind of adjusting that style because the music has adjusted. And then you've got these two conflicts happening on the dance floor. Well, then as the 1930s and 40s move into things, you know, Frankie Manning starts to go off to war and there's this newer generation of people coming in and they're dancing a little bit different of a style, right? And at the same time, you've got somebody like Dean Collins, who's born and bred up in New York area, New Jersey, New York. He moves to California and brings the Lindy Hop style of dancing to California and starts teaching his style of dancing to people. And that becomes really popular because he's popular in the movies, right? And so the style adjusts ever so slightly for him to be a little bit more of a slotted dance because that's the way the camera can see the dancing a little bit better. So it's a little bit more back and forth and a little bit less circular. So that style is going to happen a little bit more in the 40s, right? And so he's now dancing his Lindy Hop while there's also Balboa dancers happening at the exact same time dancing for these same sort of things. But the Lindy Hop is a lot more impressive and looks more fun. It's got bigger movements. And so he's the one ending up on camera. So that becomes more popular, right? And then at the same time, it's World War II. So you got a bunch of guys who are here at base, um, in the military hanging out here in Southern California who are from Oklahoma and from Texas and they learn to dance the same sort of style of dance of swing and so they start when the war ends they all go back home to Texas and Oklahoma and they're still dancing this swing dance from the west coast that they called west coast swing and so then that continues to grow through the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s and now all of a sudden in the 1980s you've got country dance competitions that have west coast swing in it and you're like what the heck is this dance that these country boys are doing and why are they dancing a swing dance which is a dance from Harlem that doesn't make any sense there's no jazz music in country why are they dancing this dance? And that's because they all learned it back when they were in the West Coast in the 1940s. So like 
the growth and spread of this this dance, the chain of events. It's so much fun to kind of like dig into the way it kind of Christmas trees out of different impetuses and different starting spots. Because you can go all the way back to Charleston, South Carolina, which is where you had the West African community coming in there a lot. And then you had people dancing the, the Charleston there and that spread to New York because those were the two main shipping hubs. And so you had people dancing on the boats who would go back and forth to these two big cities. And that's how Charleston spread from South Carolina to New York City. And that's where it kind of got popular there. So there's all these little starting points. And so it's not an easy question to answer when you say, well, what about this? And what's your favorite? And how do you do that? So <laughs> I think I'm going to tear up my entire script because every question is like that. And I'm afraid that we're going to be here all evening. <laughs> but I'm, I'm enjoying this thoroughly, though. <laughs> Since he was 12, so he can go on and break it up no, I know. It's, it's 20 years plus of, of this, I'm sure. Well, I almost regret even asking this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> As dancers, you, you develop your own style based on your interests and abilities and your passions. Lindy Hop is a very personal art form. What do you think your style of dancing is and how would you compare it to your fellow dancers? Hmm. Oh, boy. This is a fun one. Um, <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. I know, right? Here we go. Mike, you have two minutes. Okay. All right. So um, I first learned, like I said, from a couple that came and taught me the basics of swing dance. And then I started learning from a VHS tape called Swing Craze, which taught me the basics of flips and stuff. But I was in Florida and I was 12 years old. So there wasn't much of a like place for me to go to really develop amongst other people, right? Um, through high school and into college, I started to kind of pick up bits and pieces here and there. So I was kind of moving around a little bit from Florida to Utah and then other places. And so my personal style has been sort of a conglomeration, right? When I moved to New York City, they said I danced like I was here in California. When I come to California, they say I dance like a New Yorker. When I go to Sweden, they say I dance like I'm from Florida, right? right? When I first met Mike in Orlando, because I learned how to swing dance in Colorado, and kind of like you were saying, regions still slightly exist. Because if you learn from a certain teacher... And you're going to this club every week and you're learning from them. You kind of pick up their style. So I learned in Colorado. And then when I went to Florida, it was a little bit more bouncy. And then I danced with him and I was like, oh, <laughs> you you dance more like me. You're not from here. <laughs> and he was, like, was. he was, but it was his like the New York in him. In a sense. So part of what creates regional styles is also the music that that region adheres to, because the music is going to affect the exact way that you move, right? If you're dancing to something older, like a like 1930s kind of style jazz, that's going to have more of like this Charleston influence, a lot more eight counts kind of stuff. But if you're dancing more like the almost rock and roll rhythm and blues 1950s kind of stuff, that's going to have that's going to lend itself towards another style. So ideally your styling should be inspired by the music. The music is what creates your movement. Which we both love to dance to so many different like types of swing. Like we both love things from Charleston all the way to like, we were just at like a rockabilly thing two nights ago, you know? And so we love being able to like piece together what fits best with whatever we are dancing to and enjoying that type of music. Um, but as far as like exact, like <laughs> genres, we have so much, both of us have taken things from ballet and ballroom 
And we, we call it we call our style swamp style. I mean, yeah, we get call to the heart it, of it. Call it swamp. There's style. a couple little things that kind <laughs> that of make us match. unique, and yeah. this is the thing that I kind of wanted to make like the Florida style, if you will. Florida has a, a vague history in the the jazz era, and it's not very well established. Um, but there's a certain aspect to our movement that stays really grounded and mm-hmm. drops really well into the triple steps using what's called a stomp off through your triple steps. That's kind of what I would consider the crux of kind of how we tend to teach and do yeah. things, which is what we've termed swamp style swing. I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not crazy different from the stuff you'll no. see in New York or California or anywhere else, but it does that's have maybe just its a little own bit. sort that's of our own feel. Thing. Yeah. I-, I love the name. Thank you. <laughs> reflects Florida really well. Florida, Louisiana, like that whole southern region. Yeah, there's Just a, a there's mix a style of to it. When I, yeah, the first time I competed in New Orleans, I felt for the first time I was surrounded by like my people in the dance scene. It was amazing. Yeah, anyone that loves jazz, I mean, New Orleans is is home. So you moved to Los Angeles and settled in Pasadena. A city well known for a history that complements the kind of the swing and Lindy Hop era. City Hall was built in like 27. The Playhouse was built in 24. The Civic Auditorium was 31. What brought you out west? And of all the places you could have lived in our area, why did you choose Pasadena? Fame and fortune and everything that goes with it, darling. That's what brought us out west. The search for gold, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, so we, we kind of mentioned that Florida tends to have sort of a, a, a wishy-washy uh, history with Lindy Hop, but also kind of where we were at in Orlando, the the artistic scene was lacking. There were plenty, uh, there were a few dancers, right? Uh, not really any places to go dancing, especially if you wanted to find live music. It was basically impossible to find live jazz music that you could dance to in Orlando. Tampa was a little bit better. Miami, uh, sometimes. Uh, so, but it was it was always this like, trying to start things instead of trying to, instead of being able to be a part of something. Right. So right now swing dancing is not in its high part of the wave of fashions or trends. Um, it's definitely kind of on the back burner for most it's people. And that's niche, normal niche thing. Yeah. It's definitely a smaller thing that people mm-hmm. aren't a part of or aware of, um, even though you've got, you know, everybody celebrating their roaring twenties kind of thing. It's always just on the surface. You go to, a club that's supposed to be styled like it's, you know, an old timey kind of whatever. And you just, you have the decor and then you still hear everywhere, right? Not knocking on that. I love to go throw down to some house music. It's beautiful and fantastic, but we had to get out of the place that was almost a dead zone for the arts. Most people think, oh, Orlando's got Disney. It's super artistic. But people who go there end up stuck there and wanting to leave because it kind of drains their artistic soul ever so slightly. Well, it's like we both want to always be growing and learning and pushing ourselves as dancers and creatives and being somewhere where there's not, you know, a whole lot of that. Like I wanted to go where there was a hundred people better than me because Mm -hmm. then I get challenged more. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be in that space. Also. Yeah. I wanted to be able to go out dancing every single night to live music and be feel inspired again. Cause it's, it was really hard being somewhere where like we were trying to create things, but we were the only ones or like it was, you know, there was a few things happening and we had some friends, but it was, it was very hard and we were poured and poured ourselves into the community. And then it was like, you know, we couldn't just go out 
dancing unless it was our own event. (laughs) (laughs) So it got a little hard and very draining. So, and then Pasadena specifically, the reason we would come here, Pasadena actually has a really solid history in the modern Lindy Hop scene. There's a few Mm -hmm. things that happen here in this town that you don't find other places. Um, There's a pair of sisters who have been putting on a dance event since Frankie Manning, who I mentioned before, first started teaching. They would say that they brought him here and taught yeah. here in California for the very first time. And they're that's part of the history. <laughs> that, yeah, they are a big part of the history of Lindy Hop and why it exists in the form that it does today. And so, and they're right down the street yeah. here over on Hill at we go to the Pasadena dance. Ballroom Dance all the time. They yeah. have it every Saturday and it's, we walk to it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> if you're looking for a spot, PBDA, it's this nice, big open space. Now I will say that this is the clientele where it is the older clientele. So if any of our listeners are in that, you know, upper age bracket, they're like, Oh, swing dancing is a young kid's thing. I couldn't ever possibly go swing dancing. PBDA is exactly where I would send them because they would see how accessible it actually is for people of all ages. Yeah, anybody. And then there's another one. There's um, Lindy Groove. Lindy Groove also happens here right down the street as well. That's a much younger crowd and that has more of a kick and vibe to it. Um, They don't have live music as much right now. I think think soon they started to open up so they'll get live music again. But those are two like main dances in all of LA and we're right between both of them. So this is all news to me, which is amazing. And I've lived here for 12 years. You going to come dancing with us? (laughs) Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. So we've talked about swing and Lindy Hop. The interest has been cyclical, like you alluded to in the Gap commercial. I grew up in the 90s, so we, we were heavily influenced by swingers. And that was before, you know, music was so readily available. So you're limited about like what was on the radio. I mean, I think probably the first swing slash jazz-ish rock group I heard was the Squirrel Nut Zippers. Yeah. Because they they broke out on, on K-Rock here in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. How do you think we can increase the interest in Lindy Hop and swing in general? We've been talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a little bit of it is something that we've kind of already mentioned. Uh, it's people's perception of what swing is, is they can, they right now, because it's very different than in the 90s, right now they see it as kind of an old person's dance. You see it as something that, you know, people would go dance Foxtrot to, or when people hear jazz, they think of smooth jazz. And that's, like the opposite music. of what we're thinking. Like, oh, I don't like jazz. And I'm like, well, have you heard jazz? Do right. You, are you talking about Dave Cause? Because if that's all you're thinking of, I'll blow my brains out right now. This is terrible. Like that should not be the existence, right? Um, so no, like in order to bring it to prominence, I mean, honestly, I don't know that it necessarily ever will be again. I feel like the, the situation that kind of brought the 90s resurgence of jazz was so unique and that came from rockabilly in the 80s Um, and from that that came from just a pushback against what was the norm of electronic music and so the way that music now is not dictated by what's on the radio there isn't this like rebellious streak in it because literally everything is at everybody's fingertips it feels like uh, it's impossible to predict the future right but it feels like the the setup of what created that may never happen again. Because like I said, everything's already there. If you want to find good jazz, you can find it. If you don't, you don't. Um, If you want to find dancing, you can find it. But the hard part is now, I guess, is being able to weed through all the, the BS, all the stuff that like isn't the authentic voice of what that is. So it's like we were talking to somebody, Ellie was talking to somebody recently. We were actually at a salsa club. Like, you know, we love 
going out and going salsa dancing too. And someone there was like, oh, you're that swing dancer. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, swing's okay, but it's not my, my like scene or I don't like kind of the vibe. And I was like, oh, why? And they were like kind of how Mike had mentioned this kind of gymnasium or just this big room and a band maybe, or sometimes no band. And it's just, everybody's only dancing. And Mike and I have kind of taken different things apart about all of our favorite places that we've danced all over. And it's this more of an intimate kind of almost bar hang feel of people being able to just hang out and talk and create those friendships and connections. But then also there's a dance floor and then also this connection with a band and the live music. And that does happen, but it is smaller. They're tinier bars, you know, and that's not really prominent. So if somebody just Googles swing dance and goes to some of these dances, that's all they're going to ever see. And they're not going to actually see this kind of almost underground swing crowd that like goes bar hopping and listens to these amazing musicians that are playing every single night. You just have to kind of know that underground Right. Like how to find them. <laughs> there, there have been little like windows into that community in the past. Um, one of the best windows to that would have been Clifton's Republic in downtown mm-hmm. LA. Or um, Joe's. Joe's was kind of like that too. But the thing about Clifton's that made it unique was that it had the club on the main floor. But if you went upstairs, all of a sudden there was a kick-ass jazz band and people just going hard on the dance floor, right? And so you'd get a lot of these people coming up with their drinks going, yeah, I can do that too. Woo. And so like sometimes the swing dance, you're like, oh, I don't really want to go there. But also at the same time, the blend of people right? Having this new experience of something that they wouldn't have known before. That's what's kind of magical. And and the moments where you can see somebody find this for the first time, right? They've been listening to good jazz and they're like, oh, wow, you can move to this. I see this happening in real life. Like that's just, that's undeniably beautiful. Who are some of your favorite classic musicians or songs that you like to dance to? That depends on the mood, honestly. Yeah. It depends on how, how personally is how I'm feeling, right? I always have minor drag stuck in my head. I found out like last <laughs> week, Reinhardt. I pretty much hum it apparently all the time. <laughs> Even like when I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> and I just hum it. And then I think you pointed it, you're like, yeah. and I was like, oh, it is minor drag. <laughs> like, I think I just, it's stuck in my head forever. And I just hum it and I don't know I'm doing it. <laughs> so yeah, probably that one. <laughs> um, it's just always in my head. <laughs> and I do love it. Like I choreographed a piece to it and I still love that song. It comes on any like new rendition. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a big sucker for like Louis Prima and Keely Smith when they do their duets that kind of puts us into the later style of, of jazz. But before that, I mean, Nat King Cole is one of my all time favorites. He was very, you know, he kind of wavered across a bunch of different lines from his early stuff into his later, more romantic periods, you know, Sammy Davis jr. His early stuff, especially just, out of this world, uh, you know, the, the, these classic, I, I don't know. I mean, how long do you have to talk about this? Let's... That's, that's it. Good job. You answered the question. <laughs> this, this will be episode 27 through 42. I think that's kind of what we're on pace for. <laughs> so who are your, some of your favorite local musicians or groups that you enjoy listening to? Speaking of Django Reinhardt, one of our good friends, um, Luca, has a band called Pinot Noir. 
and it's a Django Reinhardt inspired band. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorites. I just, yeah. they have a very particular sound because it is Django Reinhardt inspired. And he has found like some of Django Reinhardt's songs that are like deeply buried. Like, <laughs> because he's obsessed. Yeah, he's obsessed. He's absolutely obsessed and it's beautiful. But the songs he's found that like I've never heard recordings of or things and he knows the whole history of it. I just, I love yeah. Whenever you find somebody who's truly passionate about the thing that they do, yeah. that's what's just that that will draw you in no matter what. So Pinot Noir plays at Seven Grand downtown almost every Sunday, but right now Luca's touring with Postmodern Jukebox, yes, and I think speaking right of now. them, like Postmodern Jukebox has done has done a lot to kind of create um, a bit more buzz around jazz era kind of music because they've taken modern songs and sort of turned them into classic sounding things. And there's lots of bands that have been doing that for a long time, but they just got really popular. All right. Favorite local. Uh, favorite. Oh gosh. Don't make me say my favorite local. They might listen to this. Um, uh, I'm going to say good time jazz band uh, yeah. for a good reason. When we first moved out here to Pasadena, we moved here when things were still really shut down. And, you know, after having spent a year and a half of not being out public dancing, when we got here, the first live band we were able to find was the Good Time Jazz Band. They were playing at the Bluff Park in Long Beach every Sunday. And so we would drive down to Long Beach just to be able to dance in the park to their music. Mm-hmm. And they play more of like a uh, a Dixie jazz kind of style, which is somewhat unique, especially in like modern swing dance uh, spaces and so to have a chance to dance to the gypsy stuff which is lends itself really well to Balboa which is a bit of a faster dance to Charleston which is faster of a dance I'd say they're probably my favorite so final question is that I understand you're preparing for the International Lindy Hop Championships which is being held next month is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So what is the most exciting thing that you're looking forward to heading into the championships and what can people expect from your routine uh, without sharing too much we're so sad. So when COVID kind of adjusted the world, ILHC, the, they adjusted their format for competition because they couldn't bring people together to compete. And so last year, two years ago, it was an all online competition. Yes. You submitted everything uh, via video Which and they judged from the videos. And it, honestly, like that aspect of this is amazing because now you've got people and it really became a much more international competition. People who couldn't afford to fly here from Turkey or from wherever, yeah, are sending in videos. And so it made the competition bigger and more impressive and more difficult to get through. What they did this year and last year is they've sort of done both now. They've got in-person competition and they've got things that are being submitted through video. Our favorite competition to do is the classic, which is a choreographed routine to your own song that you've chosen. And they have decided this year... I'm going to get choked up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they've decided this year that classic will still be only through video submission. They're not going to do yeah. it at the actual competitive space. And so since that's kind of our big reason for wanting to go, we've decided to keep our resources to where we don't actually travel to New York city to compete at ILHC. We're just going to be submitting a video that we've been working on, Yes, which is a super sad for us because we love the event so much. And this is their first year in New York city. They've been doing it in DC for a long time. And it's great to see it go back to New York where there's a huge dance scene already. Um, but we're very excited about the piece that we're working on. Yes. Um, we, like we said, we'd like to push boundaries and we don't <laughs> like to be normal. Rebels. 
And there's, there's this pull and we always go back and forth every time Ellie's like, all right, we're going to do it normal. We're going to dance the dance that they're expecting. We're going to show them what they're looking for so that we can win because we want to just dance like everybody else. Every once in a while, we don't have to be different. And then, but then we're also both like, yeah, but then we start what like we working on else? pieces and we start picking music and we're like, but this would be more fun. Yeah. I, I can let you in on a little like of the tea when it comes to the Lindy Hop scene nowadays is there's almost two sort of factions, I guess you could say. I, I mean, it's not a strict line or anything like that, but Lindy Hop for a long time has been full of preservationists. And that's a good thing because they remember the history and they're respecting the, the past. And that is a big pendulum swing from the 90s where people were not preservationists at all. Right. People had a vague understanding that this dance existed before, but they're just doing whatever they feel like. And so you've got like punk rockers and ska kids who are skanking and that turns into their file of style of swing. And it didn't have itself attached to the history. So a lot of people from like post you know, early 2000s were like, no, we need to adhere to the strict history. And they look back poorly on the way that Lindy Hop was danced in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and so the adjustment, the swing has gone over to the extreme where now it's very much like we're going to dance exactly like the dancers from the 1930s. We're only going to do the movements that they did because anything new is going to be something that's not what they did. And it's not preserving the history of it. So there's like this sort of pendulum where Ideally, it would fall in the center where you know where you came from. And so you know where to grow to and how to develop yourself. And a lot of the best dancers in Lindy Hop are very much that. They're showing their own personal styles. They're creating their influence. You've got people who are world championship house dancers who are dancing Lindy Hop as well. And they're creating just these beautiful things, right? So it's not something that's just for the preservationists. And so we always have that that push and pull. It's like, do we just do like the way we want to show what we're doing and still be respectful of the history, of course, or do we want to just be the copycats and try to do it exactly like it's been done for a hundred years? And it's never the second one. Yeah. It's never the second one. <laughs> so so well, ours is a little spicy. Ahead. Tell, I tell don't know. them. Reveal some, reveal some secrets. Listen, uh, dancing? It has uh song's called Mambo number two. Five. Number five. Mambo number five. <laughs> Still has a swung rhythm, but very much, you know, Latin jazz inspired. We love salsa dancing and we love mixing it. And I told Mike when we started this, I was like, we are not doing any salsa. <laughs> I was like, just Lindy Hop. And he goes, he's like, okay, okay, fine. Not even, not even two minutes later. He's like, what? What about just, just a little, a little bit of salsa. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> For educational purposes, you know, just to show. <laughs> so that's that's a little teaser. Is there might be some Latin flair? <laughs> I mean, if we throw in a little bit of history too, it's important. If you no, look, you're good. If you look at side by side salsa and Charleston, it's the same dance. Yes. it's the same dance. And so if you're out there doing salsa, you can Charleston. It's just a little bit of a different feel in your feet and a little bit of a different feel in that connection with your partner. But it's the same dance. I mean, it was mambo back then. Right. And but. jazz was, you know, New Orleans and the islands and everything was inflating itself. And in New York, when you had the people dancing at the Savoy Ballroom dancing Lindy Hop, they would also go over to the Palladium and dance mambo. Like it was always the two and two, like always went together. 
a little secret into what we're working on and developing right, no. <laughs> just in our own style, but not just that, also in music and in a community that we're building yeah. is that blend. It is that like that freedom to be able to have music where you can dance salsa, you can dance mambo, you can also dance swing in Charleston, you can also dance Balboa. It's going to be this, it's this confluence. Like if you think about back in the 90s when you had Squirrel Nut Zippers, for example, right? They're kick-ass band, loved them. And they brought in like the best of what they were coming from with this sort of like punk rock, which is what the, the lead singer's sort of background almost was. Um, and they brought in this big jazz influence into their music and created something fresh and new. Um, and that's kind of what we are striving to do as well is to kind of bring mm-hmm. this like multitude of influences of, you know, I have a very Latin background in my life history and just kind of pulling those things together because they do exist so easily together. When you've got a salsa band who has the same number of horns as a jazz band, a little bit, a few more different drums, like it's just these different styles that can can converge into one. That's that's what we're building. So honestly, if, if you want to follow along with that journey, that's going to be happening at Athletic Garage. We're, we're going to be starting that process of creating this Latin jazz, I hate the word fusion, but fusion, if you will, um, of Latin dancers, jazz dancers, Latin musicians, jazz musicians. It's going to be this beautiful confolation of things that explode there. Thank you both for being such a great part of Pasadena, for bringing so much fun and the beautiful art of jazz and, and lending hop to our area and teaching others how to dance and for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Hey, our yeah, pleasure. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. My many thanks to Ellie and Mike for coming on the show. This podcast has featured a variety of guests and we've discussed topics from race and economic inequality to transportation and infrastructure, but we can't forget about the fun. It's what makes our lives more vibrant and full. So put on your spectator wingtips, find a song that moves you and get on the dance floor. Once I gather up the courage, I'll be right behind you. I promise. For more information about Sunnyside Syncopators, please visit their website at sunnysidesyncopators.com and please support and follow Ellie and Mike on Instagram for details on all the trouble they get into, whether it be teaching a class or just enjoying a night out dancing. Ellie is at Ellie underscore underscore J. Mike is at Shiny Mike Official. And together they are at Mike and Ellie Lindy. To book a spot at their Lindy Hop class at the Athletic Garage, please visit athleticgarage.com. Ellie and Mike are great examples of creatives moving to our area to support and feed their passion. My hope is that they will build a legacy here in Pasadena, and maybe, just maybe, their unique style will evolve into Crown City Swamp. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. The podcast can be found on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many others. Please consider supporting the show by rating and reviewing it, or through direct sponsorship or Patreon. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, keep dancing, and as always, see you around town.